is Market Open Podcast, bringing you engaging conversations and insights from leading ASX-listed companies. We welcome our host, Stuart Walters, for another episode, where he'll talk to the individuals behind Australia's top companies of tomorrow. Joining me again today is Roderick Macquarie, the chairman of Whitecliffe Minerals, ASX code WCN. Roderick is a renowned figure in the resources sector. Over the past two decades, he's played a significant role in bringing numerous international mining companies to the market, with market caps exceeding 100 million and surpassing a billion dollars on three occasions. In a bold move, McElroy joined Perth-based Whitecliffe Minerals last August as executive chairman, bringing big plans for the microcap minerals explorer. Without delay, he immediately secured significant opportunities in Canada and Western Australia for the company. He secured high-grade copper projects in Canada and established the company at Lake Johnston, which also boasts a promising lithium project. Today, Whitecliffe announced the acquisition of Radium Point Iron Oxide Copper Gold Uranium and Silver Projects Canada. To tell us more about it, Rod, welcome to Market Open Podcast. Morning, Stuart. Good to see you again. Firstly, given your experience, you must be happy to have an international project of this scale in Whitecliffe's portfolio. Yeah, no, for sure, uh, Stuart. Yeah, look, it's it, it's something that actually it's important to understand we've been working on for about 18 months. Um, I guess if you go back through our uh, previous podcast and, and, and announcements, we've sort of been telegraphing this move into copper and uranium for quite some time or preceding the move into Whitecliffe even. Uh, the strategy to move into uranium and copper was, was sort of put together you know, 12, 18 months ago and the search started um, around then as well. So what, what shareholders and what people, interested parties are seeing at the moment is really the conclusion of that strategy. You know, this this acquisition, if you like, or the, the sort of the uh, application of these uh, licenses covering Radium Point and the, the broader surrounds uh, really is the culmination of, of that strategy. What is the strategy for adding a large scale uranium mining province to the company's exploration? Yeah, well, I mean, this is an interesting one. So, I mean, I guess one thing that um, those that know about me uh, will, will say is true that, you know, I, I sort of have a, a quite a good long-term radar. And one of the things that we, we were looking at several months to sort of 12 to 15 months ago was really the, the dynamics that were starting to appear around uranium. Um, what I worked in the uranium sector for, for about 10 years, between 2004 and 2014, I think it was. And one of the things I noticed there at the time was the mechanics behind the pricing dynamic for uranium. So you've got two parts to a, a uranium, a functioning uranium market. One is the long-term offtake. And the other part of it is is the sort of the short-term uh, spot price, if you like. Now, the spot price is, is a mechanism that is used to set the long-term price. And whilst 99% of the volume that you see uh, going through the uranium market is, is goes through the long-term uh, offtake, what, what happens potentially is the ability to manage the spot price, thereby setting long-term prices, and that has been sort of the mainstay of the, the uranium utilities, the reactors and the enrichers, etc. What happened about two years ago, or certainly probably about that 18 month mark, was some of the smartest guys in the commodities world got together and bought all the spot. So what that means is they bought the physical uranium that the utilities would use to, if you like, suppress the price on the spot market. And they bought it all. Um, guys like uh, Sprott 
physical trust, Global X is an ETF, Yellow Cake, there's several of these groups now. And what has happened is they've sort of been followed by a thundering herd of hedge funds. So there's, there's extra money that has come into this sector. Now, the interesting thing here is supply really hasn't had seen a lot of investment. You know, getting a uranium mine up and going, I can tell you, is one of probably one of the hardest things you can do in the mining space. And this is a sector that has seen massive un uninvestment, uh, a lot of skills shortages, a lot of lead time to production, uh, et cetera. And in my mind, when you sort of sit back and you look at all these dynamics, you've got this decarbonisation uh, process as well, which I think people now really are starting to come around to the realisation that, you know, a little gust of wind or a, you know, a bright sunny day really isn't going to power your economy if you're going to turn off your baseload stuff. So I think that there is now a broader recognition throughout the world, certainly uh, within the East. China's building 70 reactors over the next several years. I mean, that's seven zero reactors, you know. Um, the, the, the tailwinds for this sector are, are pretty solid. So we sort of set about undertaking a, what would you call it? A sort of, I guess, a global search for, um, you know, these provinces to try and track down where we thought would be uh, some potential to obtain exposure to uranium. And one of the places that we found, and, and again, this isn't me, I'm just the face of this company, Stuart. Um, you know, there's a team behind me that is very skilled uh, in, in sort of tracking these things down. Uh, they identified and we worked on Radon uh, over the last 12 months. And, and you know, now uh, with this today's announcement, you're, you're seeing the fruits of that work. So I think that th this is just a continuation of the strategy. We, we have additional projects, probably the, the best one still to come uh, in many ways, but we'll get to that in due course. And I just think that, uh, you know, this is something that we've, we've been planning for a while. Now we're executing and shareholders are going to see the benefit of these work programs that are going to sort of reinforce the understanding that these projects really are, you know, top tier stuff. Can you give us a brief overview of the area's history and size and how this acquisition is valuable for shareholders? Yeah, so I mean, th th this um, this project, Radium Point, has the unique distinction, I guess, of being the Northwest Territory's first large-scale mine. Um, it, it It's had several phases of, of production, if you like, over the the area there's been several mining centers um mainly in and around the sort of the el dorado area contact lake uh echo lake have seen uranium and, and and they've all been really price dependent as 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 most commodity mines are when the price is doing well these mines come online now you, you have to understand that these mines sort of were first initially discovered back in I guess the, the very early 1900s. Uh, they got serious about it in the sort of the 30s. It really hit its straps from a uranium production perspective in, in the mid 40s. Um, you know, there was a, uh, shareholders can look up their history on this. You know, there's, there's a lot of um, patina on this project, if you like. And then it, it moved to a silver mine, produced an enormous amount, 35 million ounces of silver. So. What, what this is and what this represents really, and this, this sort of comes into this concept that it, it represents one of the, the best targets uh, that's seen, has been seen by, you know, state Canadian mining uh, department geologists as being one of the best IOCG projects in, in all of Canada. So yeah, look, I think we're, we're thrilled about this. This, this is 
This uranium story has really only just started. And I think, you know, now with this project, we have positioned ourselves beautifully to take advantage of that. What is the significance of Radium Point in the context of IOCGU style mineralization? Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's interesting, actually. I was sort of thinking about this earlier. The underlying mechanics of emplacement, metal emplacement, are not too dissimilar in many ways from copper mine, this sort of the red bed scenario. What you have is an enormous amount of fluid that more sort of migrates through the system and it's it's kind of looking for reactive rocks. Um, the IOCG uh, situation is, is essentially a volcanic, a wedge of volcanics where an enormous amount of fluid over time has come through. Volcanics tend to be very reactive and it has deposited what appears to have deposited a very large amount of metal um, that that sits at the sort of the lower grade, higher ton spectrum in terms of the IOCG, but expresses itself at surface through what are these sort of crackle veins and these vertical uh, blow off veins of, of that pressure and fluid that sort of precipitate the volatiles, if you like, so the silver uh, and the uranium and the radium, et cetera. So the, the emplacement, I guess, geological model, whilst different, to copper mine, the IOCG and, and the copper mine um, projects that we have here are sort of come from the same family of, of uh, more emplacement mechanics. So there, there's a lot of potential here. We, we've got 3,000 square kilometres of, of license area. Um, this, you know, there, there's a, a large set of uh, databases that we're, we're working our way through, as you could appreciate, for something that's sort of been mining for the best part of 60 years. and stopped mining 40 years ago. So there's a lot of paper to get through. But um, yeah, some of the results that we're seeing, not just in and around the Brownfield area. So some of the more regional uh, anomalies that have been picked up and never followed up, you know, you're getting things that surface that, you know, <laughs> most geologists sort of dream of at night, you know, so things look pretty good there. What is the timeline for planning and permitting the company's 2024 activities? Yeah, I mean, this this is something that we haven't really got our head around just yet. What we need to do is is work through a series of permits to uh, access the land and work use, land use sort of things. Um, they're not necessarily predicated on your type of activity, although you have to give some type of indication as to what you're intending to do. So whether it's ground disturbing, airborne, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think that we will certainly have what we like to term sort of a lot of birds in the air uh, on both these projects um, throughout the the sort of the season up there. Um, you know, dialing in on some of these things, certainly at Copper Mine to start with, I think we'll, we'll be doing some quite extensive airborne surveys. Um, would That'll be sort of followed up with a site visit and sort of just getting a lay of the land and, and confirming some of the historical results. You might remember that there's uh, a, a lot of high grade uh, mineralization sticking out of the ground up there so it'll be a, a lot of uh, repetition of those results and, and continuations and what what that will allow us to do is prepare the um, prepare the the geology for drilling if you like now uh, we we would hope that we're being we're able to pull that off next year um, that is quite a remote project but certainly the IOCG thing is a little bit much it's about 300 kilometers south we would utilize a lot of the same contractors, start with copper mine. As we withdraw, we move to Radium Point. 
Um, I think that what we can promise shareholders between now and the start of those programs is once we start to digest and verify and validate a lot of this information that we have in all these sort of historical reports and um, data sets, I mean, some of the results that, yeah, some of the regional uh, results that we hope to be able to put out to market here shortly in terms of uranium, outcropping uranium, outcropping copper and silver, um, pretty extraordinary. So, yeah, I think that there's between now and at the end of the year is going to be a very busy time. These are two big projects. As I said earlier in the piece, there there is one more to come, um, one more that we've been working on, probably the biggest one, the most exciting one, funnily enough, and and therefore probably one of the more complicated from a documentation perspective, but um, certainly got scale. And uh, we will then set about working on all three of these projects uh, throughout 2024. Um, there's a lot of potential here for Discovery, Stuart. This is, you know, this one of the better portfolios I've ever had. And lastly, fast forward 12 months, what does a successful year look like for the company? Well, I, yeah, I mean, what what we, at the end of the year, if we, if we sort of covered all three projects, we have defined them in a modern day sense. Um, having the technical part of the industry talking about us, making sure that the chatter in that part of the world is is solid because that's really where your credibility comes from in the first instance. These are projects that have broadly been, for whatever reason, just been pushed to the back of the mines department dungeon in a box and they were never sort of transferred to digital and in, in all those sort of... Um, what would you call it, sort of phase transitions that they it got missed out. So these three projects, um, really the objective is putting them back on the map and everyone sort of being able to look at these things and realise, wow, you know, you, you put licences on all three of these things. So, you know, we're, we're just getting back to basics in terms of geology as well there, Stu, so it's good. Rob, thanks for joining me today on Market Open Podcast. An exciting time for the company, busy 12 months ahead. We look forward to following the story with interest and having you on again soon. Thanks, Stuart. No, it's been a pleasure. That concludes another episode of Market Open Podcast. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, LinkedIn, Twitter, rss.com and marketopen.com.au. Until next time, happy investing. The content of this podcast is intended to be general in nature and is not personal financial product advice. It does not address the circumstances of any individual or entity. You should not construe any of this information or other part of this material as legal tax, investment, financial or other professional advice. Market Open and its employees are not financial advisors. You should consider seeking independent, legal, financial taxation or other advice to check how any information relates to your unique circumstances. Nothing contained in this podcast constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement or offer by Market Open or any third party to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments in this or any jurisdiction in which such solicitation or offer would be unlawful under the security laws of such jurisdiction.